Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, a podcast presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and Metatopia 2018. Episode 193, Intersectional Feminism, Game Design That Tackles Topics That Matter. Presented by Julia Ellingbo, Moira Turkington, Jonya Kemper, and Misha Bushiager. Hey, go. Yeah, she might not make it. Yeah. yeah. So, what's this panel about? What's it, this, is, this panel is about designing intersectional uh, <coughs> feminist games. Uh, and specifically, we were hoping to talk about designing historical intersectional feminist games. Um, how did we want to start? Do we want to introduce ourselves? Yeah, let's do that. Hi, I'm Misha Bushager. Uh, Misha B, uh, you'll find me as a lot of times because Bushager is hard to spell for a lot of people. Even though it's just like spell or sounds. Uh, so you can find me at New Agenda Publishing, uh, Black Oak Grandmarks. Um, I've worked on uh, lots of properties. Our current one is Rune, which is a futuristic game uh, as opposed to the historical, but still intersectionally feminist. Uh, and, and that's me. Hi, my name is Julia Ellingbo. Um, I write tabletop role-playing games, and uh, for the past few years I've been writing a lot more LARPs, but I also write uh, campaign frames and things like that. Um, I've written for Lovecraft-esque, uh, Masks, uh, Mortal Coil, um, and uh, my first job, uh, first game, not my first job, that was, I worked at a muffin shop my first job. Um, <laughs> my first game, yes. Come on over! Just over. <laughs> coming up, coming up, come on over. Um, and my first game uh, was a game called Steal Away Jordan, which is about slaves in the antebellum South. Um, so. Brilliant. Yes. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Just in time. Just introducing oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Just sat down, you gotta start, go. Okay, uh, so my name is Junaya Kemper. Um, I am a designer and a academic. I study role-playing games, but specifically, I study intersectional identities and how that works when we play and how role-playing can actually help us explore those and look at our internalized biases and our internalized everything and uh, how we can break that and smash the system. I am Moira Turkington. I am a LARP designer mostly, some tabletop stuff, but uh, I am the creator of Warbirds which uh, specializes in uh, games about women fighting on the front line of history, uh, uncovering women's stories and brushing history against the grain. Why are you looking at me? You're the moderator. Am I the moderator? I thought so. No one told me I was the <laughs> I'm just really lucky to be here. <laughs> so, what are the, some of the things that we've come up with, uh, come up against, at least in 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 writing games uh, with a historical bent that might uh, be different than writing a game that's not historical? So, um, from a couple of different angles, uh, something that I've I've noticed sometimes is that, um, and I think this also happens in uh, fantasy 
uh, settings where you get that one person who really wants to push some kind of historical accuracy when you're playing a game that actually, you know, you can take elements of historical accuracy, so maybe you've got a date and you're gonna play around a specific date, say like the, uh, the Boston Tea Party. So you've, if you had a game about the Boston Tea Party, um, and uh, you know you you want to make this game um, interesting and fun, and you've done your research about the Boston Tea Party. Let's make it the Boston Massacre, okay? Because we can get a little more intersectional there. Um, you want to make a game about the Boston Massacre. And you want to maybe talk about the the events leading up to it and who were the players, who was killed, and say. Um, you're, you're trying to get some some modicum of historical accuracy, and then you've got that one person who, or a, a faction, or we won't even make this a person, but there will be a comment or some kind of declaration that your historical accuracy has to include things that make the game unplayable for people who might want to engage in the history in some way, in some meaningful way. So. Um, one of the people killed during the Boston Massacre was an African-American man, Crispus Attucks. Well, what if we also wanted to um, include someone else or someone was, maybe we were like talking about the people who were involved in the Boston Massacre. Um, and you have that one person who says, well, you know, uh, I'm playing somebody who is from a place that probably as far as our popular understanding of history goes was not anywhere near Boston at the time. Um, and you have to play it so that you can't have somebody from Guam uh, there or, or, or somewhere like, um, I don't know. Like India. India, right. Yeah. It's actually possible. Um, it's really possible. Yeah, really possible. yes. But, but you know, we are, we are told that um, that the Revolutionary War was only fought by white people, right? So you can't include those people. Um, and it's it, you find that similar thing in fantasy where you're like, no, you can't have brown elves. You can't have elves who speak ancient some other language other than like Old English. You know, it, it's like you can't shift the, the narrative in a way that, that appeals to the players because it's fantasy. And because you, you, you tack on history, you have to get every single thing right to a point or you can you can kind of like play fast and loose but you have to include discrimination racism people want to use the n-word during uh during my game steal away jordan like i had somebody who actually like argued with me that that it was okay to use the n-word i was like nobody at my game tables ever ever saying that word but but people did say it yeah but it's 2009 at the time uh uh, we aren't, there's no need to say that. So, um, you know, our imagine, we get caught up in our imaginations and um, we get caught up in like, you know, being so historical accurate that we want to make the game unfun for people who would basically have their identities crapped on through the whole game. Mm -hmm. That's one thing I've encountered. Um, Mo Hawker, uh, who got the idea, Mo Hawker is, um, an Englishman of color uh, who got, got this idea about the fun tax from like a, a random comment. I'm so sorry, there's like actual academic resources that go back to, but I haven't finished this coffee. Moving on. Um, but the fun tax is what 
generally people of color or marginalized identities have to take if they're going to play any game. So you don't even realize that the fun tax is built into, it's built into life, but it's definitely still gonna track you through a role playing game. So any, any person of a marginalized identity that sits at a game that is historical is automatically going to be paying that fun tax, but it's how much of the tax is going to be played, right, paid rather. So, yeah. And then there's the uh, many-fold problem of people when they want or approach a game of history have a very specific idea of what gets them excited about the moment of history that they're looking for, and they uh, start designing straight on in or focus their research on that very specific thing that they have fun in and either uh, don't do enough research to understand that the situation was much more complicated or uh, do do enough research and decide they don't want to include elements and so you have thing I, I uh, personally uh, wanted to write a, a bomb girls in the factory game about uh, uh, women finding financial freedom in the Second World War and then started reading and came across hate strikes and then had to think, oh, do I want to celebrate uh, this environment? And I think that that happens very frequently. We, we don't want to, we don't want to, we want to play a game that's fun. Like I think there's a couple of games that are currently in design. Um, uh, there's a Western theme game, I won't name, I don't even know the name of it, that is currently designing because we want to have fun in the Wild West, but of course the Wild West is a, is a very distinctly problematic time and they're either, <laughs> and that there's been lots of talk about either fully ignoring those things or putting them in, and in both cases, you, you know, uh, you have to handle those situations really well. Yeah, like I, I know of a LARP that's <coughs> trying to do a colonial kind of era, and they're trying to avoid some of the problematic uh, issues with Native Americans by just saying they don't exist, mm -hmm. which is an entirely different problem. <laughs> you know, I'm like, wait, wait, mm -hmm. uh, okay, that's but an approach, uh, but, but yeah, yeah, so <laughs> that's ugly. Yeah, I, I just want to name that. Genocide. It's, it, yeah. it's, it's yeah. you know, you, you, I'm sure people hear the, the term erasure a lot. And that's what that is. Yeah. And imagine if we wrote a game about um, colonizing Africa and said, well, the white people were really problematic in that game. In that era, let's just do away with them. You know, <laughs> the Fjord, that would be unleashed upon the world if you said, no, we're just not going to have white people. Yeah. Guys <laughs> create a lot of problems. Why don't we just, like, take them right out of games? I was thinking yeah, of taking yeah. all men out of the Neapolitic war setting. Yeah. 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 They killed so many people. They killed so many people. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I'm not going to deal with that. I can't yeah. engage with that kind of history. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of times I think we also have this kind of whitewashed male idea of what history is that doesn't actually match what history is. Like mm -hmm. uh, Medieval POC on Twitter and, and Tumblr mm -hmm. does an amazing job. Like, look, no, really, this is not as white. As, London was not as white as you thought it was. Yeah, you know, yeah. France was not as white yeah. as you thought it was. You know, 
these are all contemporary examples of people that were there. Why? No, it's not. No, it's perfectly okay to have, you know, it's per, it's completely accurate to have uh, people brought in. My secret, my secret, secret, secret thing is that I used to be a museum technician. Like, my first job ever. Yeah, ready, ready <laughs> for this? Uh, my first job ever was a, a museum technician at Boxwood Hall State Historic Site in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Um, that means that I know a lot about the Revolutionary War and hate Hamilton um, with all of my soul. And I have no problem admitting it because I know so much colonial history that is intersectional. Um, and there are so many stories of people of color, people who are queer, people who, uh, non-binary, like people who do exist, in, they exist, mm -hmm. but you will never hear their stories because no one, they, they exist and we have them on paper in many ways, but they're it's just like, hard. it's too mm -hmm. hard or it's hidden underneath. And like, this is something that you won't hear about in museum studies, right? Um, or in games, because this is how we pull our history. This is how we construct. It's how are you going to research an authentic game if the people who have done the research are hiding the things from you? I did not know black women were wealthy in the 19th century at all, really, um, until someone gave me a costume book and started showing me black women in Regency gear in fashion magazines of the time. These are actual 19th century illustrations of black women. How many people know that there are black women in Jane Austen? There are. Jane Austen wrote a novel called Sanditon in which one of the characters is a black woman. Like, it's very coded in Jane Eyre that the woman in the closet is not a white woman. She comes magically from the West Indies and we just locked her up for no reason. Gee, no I wonder reason. why. Um, but these are, <coughs> these are like little tidbits and things that we have in history that we don't talk about. And I think this is like, this is critical, right? Because mm -hmm. it's, it, it's hard enough for any marginalized person of a marginalized identity to to not have a history. Like you don't see, if you don't see yourself reflected, we know that like this is not a one on one panel. Like this is not we should have some people. people. This is mm -hmm. this is like when you have games that celebrate some aspects of history, especially when they are uh, in complex marginalities. When we have games that celebrate moments of history and then still erase others. It's like a double bind of, mm -hmm, of mm -hmm, mm -hmm. annihilation. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like um, double sensitivity mm -hmm. and, and really legitimately. One of the other issues is that when you are doing historical research um, and you're looking for primary sources, your primary sources, if you're looking for women's history or the history of marginalized people, is going to be different. It's often you cannot trust a first-hand account of someone's encounter with mm -hmm. natives mm -hmm. um, because it's 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 just laden with racism and there's going to be this this person's uh, first uh, very encultured view of meeting somebody who's completely different from them um, when you're looking at women's history um, say like women's American history uh, you aren't going to find it in roll books. You're going to have to look at other things. So, um, for example, um, my mom is a history professor, and for her for her dissertation, um, I helped her research bank records of um, 
newly freed post-Reconstruction African Americans and, and women. One of the challenges in, in finding information about their lives is where do you go because nobody's talking about them. Um, they were uh, they 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 were important because they did a lot of work that people either didn't want to do and it was silent work, um, or nobody cared. So um, what my mom did was she um, researched bank records from um, Friedman Friedman's banks, which were banks for African Americans, and um, then. She could find plenty of people, but it was also hard to find their stories because a lot of them couldn't read or write, and so someone at the bank was writing stuff down for them, and so that's going to have the bias of the person taking the account, even though they're just writing bank information, um, and you're going to find a signature that is an X. Well, that right there tells you that this is someone who um, didn't read or write. When you have someone who writes their name and script, you learn a little bit more about them, um, and um, on these bank records, they would have occupations. So, and they would list next of kin. Well, we have another thing, another problem, that after slavery, there were a lot of people who had never seen, had not seen their children in decades. Mm -hmm. And so when they would write down, you know, do you have any children? They would write, maybe, I had a baby boy, I haven't seen him. And and so you, would, you could also find out, um, where people were in their lives and who who they had social contact with and who was in their social spheres 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 um, and who um, who helped them and who took care of them through these records. If you're looking for a white person's history, it's a little bit easier. Mm. A white man's history because it, it may be equally mm. difficult for a white woman in the South and the post-Bellum uh, South because of property laws. Um, so when, when doing the research, and this is why so much of research, so much of history is written by, from the perspective of one person, it's the easiest one, it's the person who's the most dominant. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that's something to consider too if you're designing a game, that, that you're gonna have to do a little bit more digging. You're not going to be able to just use a history book to get your information about the time if you're going to try to be more inclusive in your history. Yeah, I think you would double down too if you're talking about history in a different place in the world. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. not only are you dealing with <coughs> the person who's documenting the history, you're often dealing with the, the bias of the person who's translating the history mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. the, and the bias of the person who is archiving the mm -hmm. history. And those are all different people. Yeah. And so layer after layer after layer of annihilation. Yes. So what did we say versus what did we yeah. say? Yeah, this is an important This is yeah. something I can, so I will tell you a mess up that I corrected. Um, I was working on Katai, which is uh, a book within the John Wick Seven Sea line. Um, Katai has Chimera. Chimera is vaguely based on pre-colonial Australia. Now, I don't know a fair bit about pre-colonial Australia by fair bit. I mean, um, but in the middle of writing thousands of words, and doing first-hand research into like some gritty NYU archives and talking to people and like talking to friends who are indigenous, aboriginal and like I realized something. All of the all of the source books we were using came from white Australians, mm -hmm. uh, which means that everything I had written was wrong 
And I said, I was like, I'm sorry, I need to, I need more time. I need like a month and a half because everything is wrong and I'm not turning this in because it was wrong and I don't want anyone to do that to me. So I went back and I was like, I'm only gonna use a text written from here and here. I'm only gonna do this. I'm looking at this. How do we use grief? How do we use this? What are our, what, what are we thinking about gender in this culture? How are we doing this? And then I had to translate it to the setting of C because I had to start from the research that had never been done, make that, and then come at it from a different way. And it was hard, and it was excruciating, and I cried and felt very guilty, as I should have. But it got done. And then there's all the problem of history that was like purposely eradicated. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, yes. Um, uh, I've been working for a while on a game about Yakutuk 12, um, uh, which will probably take me a dozen years to finish, because it, finding information in English translated that wasn't burned, Yakutuk 12 is uh, part of the Italo-Abyssinian War, uh, uh, where uh, the Italians after, in pre-World War II um, uh, uh, had there was an assassination attempt on a general's life, and uh, they literally killed an in the entire intellectual generation of Ethiopia, um, uh, uh, which you can imagine the the gap that leaves mm -hmm. behind. And uh, in doing that, because they were trying to eradicate the entire intellectual uh, <laughs> generation, they also eradicated all their thought and writing and uh, records. Um, and so there's writing about this thing, but there's a lot of it about from Italians' point of view. Um, I was going somewhere with this, um, but yeah, there's lots of, and so like, then you have to trust other cultures' accounts or, or mm -hmm. subculture accounts for those kind of things. Um, and so like, what strategies do we use? What strategies do we use to get around the gaps? So my, my aunt did a genealogy project uh, for my dad's side of the family. And it's related to a discussion we were having elsewhere online uh, where somebody said, oh, it's super easy to like trace where your roots are. I'm like, well, no. Uh, so I was, she was fortunate. She was able to trace back to about 1750 or so of one line. And, but the, even that was, okay, there's a gap. We think it was about, they were born-ish. You know, this person was born-ish. You know, this person came from this plantation, probably. Um, and so there's there's a certain amount of, okay, well, do we have to find alternate records? Do we have to, oh, hey, maybe instead of looking at, like, birth and death records, we have to go and look at uh, ledgers and where people are being treated as merely a, a line item on a stock sh a, a bank sheet. Uh, do we have to use, you know, what kind of alternate sources do we have to look through to find, hey, maybe we can find a name. Hey, maybe we can see where person A got transferred. Do we have to look at sale records? Do we have to look at, you know, what do we have to do differently to trace or to find information about people that is different from the default white dude? It's like, oh, okay, if I'm looking for a white guy, I can usually, all right, uh, I can go find a birth certificate, and it'll have a list of a mom's name and a dad's name. All right, and I can take the mom and dad name, and all right, I can go back further. further. Oh, hey, look, I found a ship register, and I can find where they got picked up on the ship, and, it's mm -hmm. like, and then I can keep going from there. But that doesn't exist for like an entire yeah. 
chunk of the African-American population and for the indigenous populations of places where before those records existed or if it was written down, it was not written down in a way that people translated into English or into the language of whoever came after them. So there's a record, but nobody remembers how to read it because so many people died. And it's like, so you, there's all these you kind of hacks you have to do. It's like, all right, I can't just go, this is what I would normally do. Let's think of something different. And it's, it's kind of exhausting sometimes. Um, I think you can sort of meet somewhere in the middle in between um, writing, doing revisionist history, mm-hmm. which it's if you're writing a historical role-playing game, that's actually really okay. I mean, it's a game. Um, and, uh, and accepting that there are people that did not have a voice um, and were not written down and you can assume that they were there. And I think there's also maybe even a, a third path that you, if you're writing a game that you want lots of people to feel like they are included and that they can see themselves and they can identify with characters um, that, that would be created in this world, that you just let go some of that rigid, that rigid history need and make some space. And there's nothing wrong with making space for people. There's absolutely nothing wrong. And if you are so hell-bent on getting the historical accuracy down pat, maybe you could try reenactments instead. Um, (laughs) And even there, you're going to find that people who really do their history, their research, have come to the conclusion that there were women and people of color <gasps> no. in the Civil War <gasps> who had roles, who, who um, had very strict gender, gender-constructed roles, and also broke those. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's, it's weird. It's, it's, it's as if that's been happening forever. If you ever listen to folk music, how many songs? Anybody listen to Grateful Dead? Jack is about uh, a woman who's in love with um, Jack the sailor and she cuts all her hair off and dresses up like a man and the captain's like, you have really nice hands. I find you very adorable for a man. And she's like, oh, <laughs> I'm no, I'm, uh, no. And, uh, and so she gets off the, the ship and the, the, the captain is like, oh, I kind of liked that young man. And she goes and she finds Jack and she helps him out and she brings him back. And that is a tried and true trope of American and um, British folk music. Um, you find it at the, the Maid on the Shore. So people are writing about this and it's not so much that it's like, oh, this is my fantasy to like, cut my hair off and go dress up as a man and go find my boyfriend. No, people did that. People wanted to uh, do other things besides what their what society was telling them they need to do, and they, you know, women dressed as men and went off and did their thing. To speak to yes, to speak to Mo's point about uh, looking internationally and to like not really just think within North America or like Westernized ideas. You, the Middle East was lit, y'all. Like that, you had 
women opening up universities and saying things like try me you had like <laughs> you've got female pirates in china you've got uh-huh. who were who badass <laughs> to the point to the point where the chinese government was just like sorry <laughs> we apologize same with morocco Here, please yeah, stop hitting us yeah you morocco like africa had the whole continent, the entire oh, continent, wow. has so mm-hmm. many rich stories of like empires that were just ruled in interesting and neat ways that we we've never heard. You've got India, where you have classes of like warriors. Like you've got Mongolia, women flying hawks upside down, riding mm-hmm. horses. Like this is stuff you want in your games and you want to play with. Uh, but we've been so uh, romanticized with what history is and should be that we kind of leave those stories out. Mm-hmm. I also think um, I find it valuable uh, to delineate between popularized history resources and academic res- uh, history mm-hmm. resources. Mm-hmm. So, like, you can pick up a book on Amazon and you can read about an era and it'll tell you the story that you've heard. And it might you might sometimes get some. Like there's lots of great books about single people or about mm-hmm. single p- place and time that you can use. But like um, if you I spend an inordinate amount of time around World War II and if you read the stories of uh, the mass history stuff of World War II, you're really going to get soldiers in the field. You might get a mix of kinds of soldiers in a mix of different theaters, but you know the the there you do not have a world war without world support and world involvement mm-hmm. and uh, and so looking at uh, uh, PhD students who are PhD students, or you're not even a student anymore. I know. Uh, I always think of you. Soon. Yeah. Uh, PhD students who are spending like their whole lives doing the minutia of these kind of things with a passion to uncover it, and of course. There are some PhD students that are also a bit of a problem in the way they do it, so you have to look for who you're doing it. Uh, but there's all these other kinds of resources that may not be just wild, widely available at a library or on Amazon. Uh, and, and also, uh, what I've learned that shocked me was academics who seem um, um, like big time people to a, a little time indie game designer love having you talk about having you talk to them about games you are writing about the stuff that they have done. Will you look them up? You write them a note. They will talk your ear off uh, and and like it. And uh, and they make amazing resources because they have access to things you could never dream of as far as texts go. Um, uh, so. Don't be afraid to reach out to individuals like that. And they also may know people who you can co-design with, uh, which would also be You can also, uh, this is a hack for you. Um, many, uh, I can only really speak to uh, many American larger universities. You can get day passes for their libraries. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're studying a special project, you can also get grants and you may not have to be a student there. This means that you can enter some really amazing archives. Like NYU has an archive that is basically the entirety of the early gay rights movement. You can find you can find handwritten letters. Um, you can find so many things. NYU also has, because this is where I went, uh, but many, Williams has cost, Williams has a copy of like, I think the declaration like it's people have 
things that you can use and touch with your hands and they want you to touch them because they just sit there and do nothing but you can get day passes for this stuff they want you to touch them with gloves with yeah, gloves with though gloves. and they're hot and so don't you get your fingers yeah, on them yeah, yeah don't think you're gonna be able to get your greasy little hands all over the place no the oil is gonna ruin you but what if what if you just don't have the time or the inclination to do all the research? Is there a shortcut? Yes. Don't. <laughs> no, more seriously. I mean, on the one hand, I mean, just uh, if you're making a fantasy game, for example, as opposed to a carefully researched historical, you know, just abstract it some. It's like, okay, I want to think about this era, but I want to just kind of maybe, you know, okay, well, we're no longer playing in the, the, the uh, era of the Civil War. We're playing at the end of a war between two warring species on a planet far away. And so you can still bring in the same themes and the same without necessarily having... It's like, but you're making it up. So if we're already bringing in dragons, we can bring in brown people. That's fine. What's the difference? Like, hello, what's the... You know, like, there were probably brown people already there. But hey, you know, you've got dragons. Why are you giving me crap about brown people? Yeah. That becomes a cop-out when you decide that even though you've switched to a fantasy and you're going to have a dragon swoop down on, like, a plantation, but there aren't going to be... People of color. But that's like, just that's not, not realistic. That's 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 not too realistic. unrealistic. That's <laughs> you too cannot unrealistic. put black people next to my dragons. Or, or women. You. you can't put women riding <laughs> the dragon. Women don't <laughs> ride dragons. That's what is wrong. <laughs> and they better not like other women. Oh. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Get out. Yeah, no, that's like don't make it a cop out. Like yeah, you just it, don't it, have time to do the research. Still include them. People will hold the right? yeah. yeah. like, like, no, them. No, there could be dragons, but there can't be black elves that are not evil. Do I? No. Yes. Have you have you heard my drow story? <laughs> I will tell you later. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, heard story. Oh. Uh, I do want to hear this. Um, there's like, uh, but this also has history, right? Um, the reason why we think of fantasy in historical terms is because. Actually, J.R.R. Tolkien, right? J.R.R. Tolkien, a person of their time, mm, uh, and I will say this over and over again until I die, decided to create a world which was pretty racist because it's based on wars that pretty racist. So when you see the Easterlings and their Oliphants and they're definitely people from the Middle East... What do you mean? Jewish dwarves aren't a thing. That wasn't a thing that he coded. No, not at all. He totally just made that. These things are in that fantasy. So what are they also in? Well, they're also in your massive fantasy role-playing systems. And they're now codified into your books. And they're codified into your movies. And so if I said, what does an elf look like? You're definitely going to think first of a very tall, thin, white person. You're not going to think of, I don't know, the Finnish version of elves, which I believe are silver and have no backs. Mm-hmm. And short. And have short. no back? How do they have front? If they, they have, have their backs mm-hmm. are hollow. Oh. I, I'm pretty it's sure. Yeah. yeah, the backs are hollow. Oh, I, I could be wrong. I apologize. All those crazy <laughs> things. <laughs> um, but yeah, these we don't think that way. Yeah. We We're not even gonna touch Lovecraft because you know that's just. <laughs> <laughs> 
We'll just leave that one. All right, enough said. Well, well hang on. <laughs> so, yeah, so we worked on Lovecraft best. Do we yes. want to talk about what we did differently? Yes. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Um, I, I set mine in New England. Uh, my It was in it was New England, um, and I wrote about the um, draining of the Quabbin River, or the not the draining, the flooding of the Quabbin River. Um, so back in the 30s? So Boston uses a lot of water, let's just say that. It's a lot of people in Boston. They needed, they needed water. So they flooded five towns in western Massachusetts um, and made this amazingly beautiful area that is now, it's called the Quabbin, um, and it is, there's, um, there's wildlife there. Um, a let, apparently there's a mountain lion or two that live there. Um, and if you are into scuba diving and you really like cold water um, and you sneak through into the reservoir, I think they do, they do allow some sports. You can find towns under the water. Um, so that was what mine was about. was like, what was there before those towns? Yeah, I, I went with uh, kids are creepy. Because they are, and they will tell you the creepiest ass shit. Because, and my, my little kids are, you know, mine are seven and ten now, but like, they, it's like, mommy, so and so, so and they're like, I'm sorry, what? And, and it's like, do they just out of nowhere, just creepy. And so, but, you know, there's an element of horror that you, can, hey, look, it's not a racist horror. We're not worried about, oh, yes, those even evil, yeah. You just, baby dolls. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Hmm? Go ahead. No, oh, yeah, baby dolls. Oh, creepy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I cannot deal with porcelain dolls. It's just not a, a, a no. Uh-uh. Uh, <laughs> I love dolls. The, so, yeah, so mine was about the flooded quabbin and then baby dolls and living baby dolls. <laughs> so there's a thing that I, I, I don't really like H.P. Lovecraft all that much. Um for no other reason that I just I don't actually enjoy his writing and I find him like a racist troll that I just can't engage with and um, people who do Lovecraft well do it really well and I'm happy for them and I'm just it's not my thing um, the thing that I, I appreciate about Lovecraft is bringing xenophobia into uh, into science fiction because it is it is an amazing vehicle mm -hmm. like it's a terrible thing but let's just take a moment and just really think deep down inside and engage in our own personal xenophobia. We all have it. Mm -hmm. It is probably one of those things that's somewhat instinctual that you're going mm -hmm. to be afraid of somebody who's different from you. Mm -hmm. And we have a rational brain, however, that can tell us, well, you're different from me in XYZ way and but you're sitting here in a very non-threatening kind of position. You're probably not going to eat me. You know what I mean? <laughs> Probably. Um, probably. Probably. That was without consent. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's another game, a different panel, <laughs> but yes, yes. Um, but, but that xenophobia is something that we can all relate to, and it's kind of scary when we try to feel that we are so woke and everything, but the fact of the matter is we're kind of xenophobic. And it's a natural inclination to be afraid of something that's different from you. Um, and that's what I like about Lovecraft that he really, really got in touch with his xenophobia in a way that was so, profound so and, 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 and timely for his, for his time and, and, and now timely for our time, unfortunately. Um, but 
we can learn from those that that xenophobia mm-hmm. that um, that you know black people aren't monsters. <laughs> That's a fantasy, um, and that it's that that okay. So you're afraid of people who are different from you because there might be something really horrible lurking in their souls, um, or you can just not and and get to know them and find out who those people are um which isn't to say that lovecraft can make people better people <laughs> like i'm not saying that at all um but if you like lovecraft that's that's an, that's an angle to get into if you're going to do like a historical historical lovecraft game um that you can use that xenophobia mm-hmm. um in, in in interesting ways yeah harlow and bound Bellum actually yeah. there yeah. we go yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, so Hollywood yeah. Bound is a, an amazing thing uh, in that um, it flips the switch, the script entirely. It's like, all right, so we're going to talk about this is Harlem in the twenties, mm-hmm. uh, and whenever I'm referring to people, I'm you assume they're black. If they're not, I will specifically call it out, which is such the inverse mm-hmm. of every other mm-hmm. freaking book ever. Like you know, you either. It's either you call it everybody or you call it nobody. It's like, all right, either we're going to completely ignore that there's somebody different. And so uh, I was playing uh, at HLGCon uh, a game, and uh, he's leading us through, and he's like, and there's a white servant, and the, like, the three black people that I'm playing with go, wait, what? Uh, and it's like, wait, we've got the black lady is rich and has a white servant. What? Wait, okay. And and like our like modern brains are going, wait, okay. I know this was a thing that could happen, but the the players, the characters that were playing, the one that this a first this shouldn't be. And how did you get a white boy to be your shirt? And so we're having this discussion in game, like as characters, it's like. She's got a white guy doing so and so, and it's like so it's jealous. so fancy. <laughs> <laughs> it was fancy. It was so fancy, and so it was you know just little things like that. It's like all right, we're gonna play on those. You know, we're gonna if you can use the xenophobia and the racism, but be aware, make it an intentional decision, make it an a mm-hmm. a, a uh, feature, not a bug. Make it. Uh, something that you do by design as opposed to oh crap i uh just realized that i don't have any brown people so i'm gonna throw them all in as bad guys mm-hmm. mm. yeah yeah a, a couple of years ago uh ken kenneth height and i did a panel um and bill white was on that panel too and we were talking about like what to do with lovecraft it was called lovecraft wtf and um <laughs> and we actually did it two years in a row because we at the end of it they were one of the questions was like well how do we do them we were like I don't know. Um, so then we came back and we had some more ideas. Uh, but one of the ideas that, that came out of there was like, do not whitewash. Don't, don't, don't. Like, be intentional in your intentions and don't sweep people under the rug. Um, don't ignore the uglies that are sitting in the room. Um, use them to your benefit and catch, catch them before they catch your players' bad habits. Um, or, or trope habits or, or you know, revisionist history or whatever. Um, so incorporate them in a way that, that people can um, go, there's this big racist elephant in the room. Um, what do we do with this, you know, and, and, and go from there rather than have someone stumble upon the racist elephant and make up things that we don't want. Um, so when you're creating a game, don't shy away from those things. And if you're finding yourself shying away from particular themes like that, 
um, consider that maybe there are some other things that you need to tweak or maybe that you want to completely change the angle because honestly sometimes you don't want to have like those heavy racist things in your game you yeah. really do want a, a game that's kind of chill and fun and you just like octopus monsters and that's I, I there's nothing say, wrong with that's octopus totally monsters. fine too we have like 13 minutes should yeah. we do it ask, ask open it up questions? for questions sure. yeah. <laughs> any yeah. questions so um trying to think of how exactly I want to phrase this because the, the thing that kind of like blew the side of my brain out um, when I was looking into a project that I'm working on was realizing that uh, Thomas Jefferson based a lot of his writing that led to the First Amendment on the courts of Genghis Khan and mm -hmm. their religious tolerance mm -hmm. because he would bring in like mm -hmm. and they debate each other Treaty and stuff. Mm -hmm. So knowing yeah and knowing he would bring them all you know bring in like here's a Jew and here's a you know mm -hmm. Confucian mm -hmm. and they would debate each other mm -hmm. and so realizing that that link existed and I'd never heard of it kind of blew the sides of my brain out. Mm -hmm. um, how do you deal with the myth of linear progression? like linear social progression like is there like for example we had berlin in the 1920s and then the nazis and then you know so then the, it's like people think that things are were always worse and now they're always better you know and so how do you deal with that myth of linear progression so so my, my uh first three words are walter fucking benjamin uh, uh, um, so uh, uh benjamin says we have uh uh, I'll get history geeky for a second. Um, uh, the, the, the way we teach history is this linear, mm -hmm. single-minded, always attuned with the victor, and uh, we reduce stories down to this single linear narrative, and in doing so, we lose all the context of what got us there in the first place, and it takes on this fate-based rightness, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The victors were meant to be the victors, and so they were. Um, and Benjamin uh, advocates, instead of doing historicism, we do historical materialism, which is mm. we start to, we, A, as we are losing history now, because we, we, our present is a big giant floodplain where we exist, and as we tell history, it gets smaller and smaller and narrower and narrower, and it, like rivers, start to, take, to change the landscape mm -hmm. as they go, right? Uh, so when we're in the present collecting the near past, we should be collecting more aspects of the past. And when we don't have that option, we should be collecting whatever in the far past we can to recontextualize what we have learned uh, so that we can look at them in different ways. We can look at the actual abuses of the victors. Mm -hmm. We should look at common people's experiences and um, and we should challenge them based on a multiplicity of perspectives. And yeah, so there's my, there's my Walter fucking Benjamin geek out. Sorry. <laughs> I asked it on purpose. Okay. <laughs> like I wanted the answer. Okay. <laughs> well, his, so there's a, there's a theater theory uh, that I really like um, that talks about dominoes. When you set up dominoes and you push them, all the other dominoes fall, right? Mm -hmm. Everything you think you know is connected to something else. Mm -hmm. um, so for instance, do you know that Thomas Jefferson's Quran was used to 
there we go was used to swear in one of the first members of uh, Muslim members of like the US government mm-hmm. like this is true fact. Uh-huh. Uh, these are these are things that reverberates yeah. like history is a pebble thrown into a pond and those ripples come outwards mm-hmm. but it that's how it changes yeah. things yeah um, so when I research, I try to research it around things um, and then connect them outwards. That's the best way. No, that's, that's very Constellation legit. Constellation is yeah. not lines. Yeah, yes. constellation. It's a Benjamin thing. I didn't make it up. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, talk a little bit about um, dealing with um, fiction from earlier time periods, if you're drawing inspiration from them and dealing with problematic um, especially when fiction or poetry or that, where you're dealing with interpretation, which is far, uh, which is, I don't want to say it's far more flexible, but it's very flexible, especially mm-hmm. you know in modern time. Like if you're researching, you're drawing your inspiration. I'm using for a project of Blake's mythology, William Blake's mm-hmm. mythology, mm-hmm. and every once in a while I'm reading and I kind of interpret something that's problematic. And I was mm-hmm. wondering if you guys run into issues like that when you're dealing with fiction from different periods of time. Like Lovecraft, for <laughs> um, To make an easy example, uh, let's take Looney Tunes. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you can still do Looney Tunes. You just might have to prune it a bit. Mm-hmm. And like, okay, we're not going to show any of the ones where they're in darkest Africa. Or we're not going to show any of the... Like, some of it is like, as I'm deciding what to show my kids and what my kids are allowed to see and like they're still fairly young we'll talk about the problematic stuff as they get older and kind of ease it's like all right this is why this is problematic um some of it is yeah you're gonna have to curate it and, and kind of interrogate is this something that i want to include yes it exists sure that doesn't mean i have to include it yeah i was wondering if there's like a border because i mean history we you know we can it's really a bad idea to ignore mm-hmm. fiction we go into a grayer area well people are also subjective so what they thought about the time is not necessarily what everybody else thought about the time I I have read a large amount of um, Regency fiction Mm -hmm. written by women Mm -hmm. so like Jane Austen by the way had contemporaries who knew Um, but these these books have they're very saucy. Like, so you have you have completely different narratives that are out there that lay beside your fiction narrative. So who the contemporaries are can sometimes help you to investigate what was going on historically at the time and whether or not that actually is important to tease out. Fiction is also history, right? Mm-hmm. Fiction, uh, fiction is an artifact of history, and, uh, and, and those are all part of exploding that continuum, right? You can learn a lot about what people actually thought by interpreting mm-hmm. how they wrote and mm-hmm. did creative works. And also, what became popular kind of also will inform that. It's like, all right, well, this was popular. Okay, well, why was this story popular? What about this story did the people of the time like that made it a bestseller or a, hey, we want to keep buying uh, serial bits of it to, you know, Copperfield Mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. What about it was what 
about it was compelling to the people at the time and then try to pull those threads in. You might not have to pull the whole thing in, but okay, well, what is it that they found compelling? What is this, the core of it that I find compelling? And that's what you're taking the inspiration like from as opposed to the whole thing. Studies, people are saying, why are we so obsessed with vampires and zombies? Like, there's, there's, there's a, vampires are sexy. Well, because there's a lot of reasons why. I, but it, because there's something compelling in the era that mm-hmm. chimes with the metaphor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of you touched on this earlier like uh, creating like a fantasy world with people of color in it Um, and that's something uh, I'm working on comics and stuff like Mm -hmm. that and something I'm trying to do more as a creator is include people of color in Mm -hmm. my stories but at the same time I want to acknowledge the fact that I am white Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of privilege that comes with that and I want to be careful that when I'm representing these people in these stories I'm not being a fucking idiot (laughs) Um, and so I guess your thoughts on like if you're building like a fantasy world where like there are people of color in it and like maybe you're pulling inspiration from um, the Japanese past or whatever but being sensitive to the context you're being inspired from and that line of okay now you're being too literal and you're erasing it versus oh cool you were obviously inspired by that thing I hope that makes sense. My personal line that I tell people is make sure you are making a person and not a caricature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So as long as you're you're staying on the, the person side of the line, yeah, sure. It's like it's perfectly fine to have oh this person you can be a person who wears a sari as opposed to an Indian person. Uh, and so like if you're doing costuming, it's like, you know, people other than Indians do wear saris. Uh, so, but when you start adding brown face or, you know, starting putting uh, bindies uh, on, that's where you're starting to get into, okay, now I'm making this, this culture a costume as opposed to drawing inspiration from it as a culture. Uh, so as long as you tread that, it's like, all right, this is a culture, not a costume. This is a person, not a caricature. As long as you stay on that side of the line and and do your research, you know, like there are going to be. Uh, I avoid using anything that's religious and that has a religious symbolism or some significance to to that culture, um, as a prop or as a, a, a some an element, unless I am treating it with the same reverence that I would treat a Christian cross or a Jewish star of David or or anything else. Uh, so just be respectful. And especially living religion. Yes. Can we talk that? Yes. Like, how yes. many splat books use living religions as their as their source material mm-hmm. to make the weird and strange? And mm-hmm. if, if I see one more terrible interpretation of Kelly, uh, mm-hmm. um, after having been in a in the heart mm-hmm. of Kelly Temple, and, same thing. You know, and um, yeah. Talk to uh, people who are of that culture, mm-hmm. um, and ask for their perspective about something. And, and yeah. if you haven't, if you are drawing some art and you want to include uh, one of the characters being a person of color, ask a person of color that you or, or model it after that person. Say, Can, will, you, "Will you model for me?" Um, and uh, and again, you know, make it and don't make it a caricature. Like, make yeah. that a person. 
um, and then give them elfiers and yeah. you know, realizing <laughs> that, that realizing that cultures have a wide variety of the way they can look and be is also super important. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Nothing is more strange than when you are sitting at a table and you're like, yes, 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 these are black women. And they're like, wait, what? What? And you're like, yes, mm-hmm. because it turns out slavery and also we come in different shades but not just us women in india people of india all are all across the board like and even when seeking other opinion don't expect that opinion to be a monolith yes yes one person Mm -hmm. cannot that and 10 people from a single culture can give you contracting opinions and as Mm -hmm. i i would speak as as me a very pale white girl are pro- if we are if we are deciding to go there, and I think we need to be brave and go there. We our primary job as allies doing good jobs in that design space is building resilience. We're going to get it wrong. We're going to ask as many people as we can. There are going to be times where somebody can't give us an answer, and we need to be okay with that, or we shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. Do you know that both of us are Muslim? <gasps> True that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That that was always fun to like spring on people like ha. <laughs> Whether it was Orthodox Jew or Muslim for you, because I was no. I was checking your scarf wrap. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, because for me, it's like I'm like, so are if you? If it helps, I'll take that yeah. box yeah. off for at least at least part of me will tick your box yeah. off. Well, because I'm Jewish, and so I was like, so are you Emma Tear? Which way am I reading that scarf? Oh yes, and actually, I learned how to tie it this way from watching a website for women who wear tichels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's 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 becoming the more in fashion way uh, and safe way for Muslim women to wear scarves. I've seen cool. more and more Western Western Muslim women um, finding alternative ways to cover their necks. And that's another thing is like, I'm not so much a neck coverer. Um, right. So, you know, you might meet another Muslim woman who is very adamant about making sure that only her face and her, right. and her ears aren't aren't being covered. But no, that's you know. actually super good for me to know. Because yeah. then I, I was like, I, that's how I read you because of the way that you learn to tie your yeah. so, anyway. so many times when you see Muslim women in like visual media, they're like, we need to make sure you know she's extra Muslim. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> you're like, we have various modes of No, yeah, it's five times yeah. the correct. Yes. <laughs> uh, people can also be of multi-faith. People can mm-hmm. also be of... Yeah, people are complicated. We're yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah. And faith and culture and religion. <coughs> yeah, and sometimes all, you can... Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I think we're going to... Yeah, it is actually four o'clock, yeah, and I know some of us have faces. We have to go to other things. But thank you very but much. But thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, do you want a quick rundown of where you can find us elsewhere? Uh, you can find me at www.unreallydesigns.com. You can find me at www.joneakemper.com. Facebook, Julia Bond Ellingbow. There's only one. The Julia Ellingbow without the bond is a blonde woman who is a very adorable person. I think we're kind of related <laughs> by marriage. Um, but, yeah. Uh, and blackgirlgrandworks.com or newagendapublishing.com. Oh, and Twitter, Queen of OV Pirates. Yes. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thank Thanks. you. <laughs> Do not fall off the stage. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <gonna> go <laughs> up. Uh,